The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Welcome back to Redneck Tech Podcast. I've got to turn Greg's volume up. He just asked me, is that good right there? All right, yeah. perfect, perfect timing. Um, well, as you just as I just said, we got uh Greg Ritz on the podcast for the first time. And uh, of course, Red Velvet, he's here. Howdy. Um Greg wasn't real happy about Ryer being on. <laughs> well, we just, not. we just sat in a tree stand last night, and I learned a lot about Ryer that uh, I did not know, which is one of the advantages of hunting with uh, with videographers. Well, that's what we're going to talk about because we, you know, we got to talking about the podcast one night, and uh, you're like, you know, I've got some, I got some pretty good opinions on some of this, so we should probably do a podcast. So we're sitting here in Illinois, um, and it is pouring down rain outside, so we are not hunting this morning. And uh, Raj turned himself down. Yeah, I got your headphones again. Oh, well. You like to blast your ears out with the sound. I like to listen. I like to like to be engaged and listen. Okay. I, I just have youthful <laughs> first, first ears. First trait I guess. of a good videographer is the ability to listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I, well, I think. I think what me having to turn my volume down shows that I'm such an excellent listener <laughs> that I don't need to pump it into my ears at an overwhelming volume. Yeah, your your logic is impeccable. It it do be like that. Well, I tell you what, if I need to turn my volume up or down, I'll just DM you. <laughs> Perfect. It's <laughs> the easiest way to get a hold of me. Slide up into those DMs. Well, um, if you've watched outdoor television um, in the last how, – how long have you been doing outdoor TV, Greg? I don't even know the answer to that. I think I'm on my 23rd year. Wow. Yeah, so 23rd year. So That's t- – <laughs> You've been doing outdoor television two years less than the amount of time I've been so alive. So you were in diapers when I started yes. doing outdoor yeah. television. Yes. He was still sucking his thumb when you started. <laughs> 100%. So outside of doing that, so go through all the shows. Obviously, we're doing Hunt Masters now. So kind of go through the ones that you started. And I want to get into how you started and everything, but kind of lay out your TV career starting in the beginning to kind of where we're at now. Well, when I was working at Thompson Center Arms, the majority of marketing dollars spent in the industry at that time were in print. So the Petersons, Bow Hunter magazines, you know, the guns and ammo, things of that nature, it was a print dominant media. You had a little bit of television that started back in the days with Bill Jordan and Jackie Bushman on TNN. Yep. You know, you may even be. Yeah, no, I, 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 no, I did. Yeah, I used to watch TNN. And TV was a huge deal back then. Then ESPN. Well, do you remember what the numbers and ratings were back then, back in the early days? Like what, what kind of, how many households there were? Millions. I was about to say it had to have been a, bajillions. A, a yeah. crazy, crazy yeah. amount. But if you think about it, you didn't have social media. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have phones, mm-hmm. right? You didn't have... Uh, the accessibility to content that you have today. So a yeah. lot of people who are listening or a lot of people that are uh, millennials or even my kids, they don't understand pre-TV yeah. where you had a block of shows 
for four hours. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Or two hours. So all you had were eight television shows in the entire country. Yeah. That that you could watch. And then ESPN came on and Tom Miranda was one of the uh original shows uh you know back in the day. Um So that would have been what, ninety seven, ninety eight? Correct. Okay. Correct. So I was uh running marketing and sales for Thompson Center Arms at the time and I saw where T V was going. So we sponsored Realtree. Realtree's been one of my partners for a lot of years. I've done a lot of great work with them on the licensing side for Thompson Center and other companies. Obviously they they've been a long standing partner of mine on my television show as well. So we sponsored Realtree Outdoors. So that gave me the understanding of the value of TV because I could start to see the needle move. I could start to see the engagement, the ability to drive sales through the marketplace using TV. Well, then the outdoor channel starts. And if you uh, remember, men's TV came around. There have been a lot of little networks, mm-hmm. but the outdoor channel was a fledgling small network, and but they were true to the core. Because when TNN and ESPN were there, especially ESPN, they wouldn't show kill shots. Remember those days? Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, I just watched 30 minutes, and, and I didn't see the arrow hit the deer. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So there were a lot of restrictions being a nationally broadcast network of that size. And then TNN decided that they were going to get out of it, right? So they, they didn't – they completely refaced the network. Mm-hmm. So then you really you had ESPN, but that gave the opportunity for the outdoor channel to really establish its presence in the network because they were true to the core. They didn't, they allowed impact shots. They allowed a lot of the authenticity of the hunt to roll out. And as that started to evolve, I capitalized on that by sponsoring shows that were on the outdoor channel, the Jim Shockeys, the Ralph and Vickies, the Drury's, um, Lee and Tiffany Lakoski back in the getting close days with Scentlock before mm-hmm. they became the crush. What year What year was that? I don't even remember. <sighs> Boy, that was uh, around 2000. Yeah, I was about to say, it's been, yeah, tw- dang, it's been 20 years. It's been 20 years. Holy crap. I didn't, th- I thought, I, if I was going to guess, I would have said between 13 and 15. I didn't yeah. know it had been 20. Yeah. So, and it's crazy now to sit back and look at TV is still a cornerstone for marketing in our industry, but social media is so oh, important. Yeah. People want to live in the moment right now. They want to see what deer did we see in the deer stand last night? Did we connect with something? They want to be intimately attached. Now, it's not that they don't want to see the TV shows the following year, but they also want to live in the moment. So balancing everything between social media, content for, for YouTube or other platforms, and TV now is is the big challenge. So and that we're, we're skipping around and getting ahead of myself, but I, I kind of want to ask. So compared to what we're doing now with sponsor obligations, you know, with TV show deliverables now versus – those early days. Those were the golden days, weren't they? They, they were. It's supply and demand. Yeah. We had a limited supply. Mm-hmm. When you had TNN and ESPN, you had six television shows to choose from or eight television shows to choose from. Now you have 400 yeah. television shows, not counting all the digital platforms that, that are out there. Yeah, there's no telling. Right, right. You look at the John Dudley's, you know, he's not on TV, but he's got an enormous presence. Yeah. Right? You look at uh, Growing Deer TV with Grant Woods, people of that nature. So in those days, 
as long as we used a product with authenticity, first of all, you didn't need 20 sponsors. You could survive off of 10 or six. So you could do a really good job for a small group of sponsors. Now to survive economically, because the price of production is going up, the price of airtime is going up, the price of, uh, you, you know, the engagement because of social and everything else has, has just managing content. Well, that and prices of decent places to hunt. I mean, we've talked about that. I mean, all everything's went up, literally everything. Well, yeah, you look at a, a quality elk hunt now is fifteen to $20,000. Yeah. So you have to sell a lot of sponsorships to cover one hunt. Yeah. Let alone trying to do, yeah. you but know. That's before you made any money, too. Correct. That's what that that's the, the the conversation I have with people all the time. The, the understanding the the outdoor channel model and the pay to play system and the production cost, the hunt cost, and then you've got to oversell that before you've made anything. And then you've got to factor in how much time you've got in it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, there's only a small percentage of shows that are making you know a living. You know, making good money because it's extremely hard to do. And now the competition's so stiff, and there's so many different avenues to create those numbers and to move those needs, like you said about Dudley and some others like the hunting public guys that are YouTube. And there's, there's been some really creative guys that have been able to go out there and figure out a way to create their niche and sell it. And then there's the you and Lee and Tiffany and bone collector and the guys that have been around that have sustained and made money and done a great job all the way up. So and that's kind of what I wanted to get into next is like if you had some advice and I'm, I'm way skipping around my notes, but I think it's it segues into what we're talking about. If you had advice for somebody that's wanting to either start a web show, get into a hunting show, or find a way to add value in the outdoor industry, what what advice would you give them? Well, the first thing is don't look at just doing uh, TV or social media as being the primary source of your income. Uh, to pay your mortgage and support your family. Because chances are, uh, economically, that's not going to work. It's a great lifestyle. It's a phenomenal industry. But if you have a product to sell, if you have a service to sell, if you have another complementary business that can springboard off of that marketing influence, then it's sustainable. So you look at Dudley, right? He has other things that he's doing to help monetize his fame. You look at Grant Woods, right? He sells his service to go out and consult on properties. So there has to be more than one thing that, hey, all I'm going to do, I'm going to hunt for a living. Yeah. And I don't want to dampen anyone's aspirations because obviously there's a lot of talent out there. But it really comes down, this industry is very simple to figure out. It's build relationships, answer phone calls, emails, text, communicate, preach it, follow through on anything that you say. So don't take for granted if you, the beauty of social media now is, um, and the technology that we have with cameras and, and, uh, and video equipment, the barrier to entry is a lot lower to create a quality product. Yeah, oh yeah. Right? The old days with the beta cams, uh, you know, you would have to spend, Thirty, forty thousand dollars, right, to get into the game. Well, now a guy can probably spend fifteen thousand dollars and I have mean, a pretty good. Less than less than that, right? And yeah. create a good, a good quality product. Yeah, for sure. But build your reputation on social media and developing content consistently all the time. Like whatever your brand is, 
figure out what your brand is and stay true to it. Michael Waddell's brand is fun. It's energetic. It's not built off of trophy animals. It's built about the engagement of the brotherhood. It's about hunting camp, right? Mm-hmm. That's Michael's. You look at Lee and Tiffany's brand, it's, you had the fun factor of Tiffany, right, married with the Lee Lakoski, who is obsessed with managing whitetails and pursuing big game. I mean, to, to a level that people aspire to be. And he's accomplished things that few other hunters will. Then you take a Jim Shockey, and he's all about traveling the world and collecting animals and unique experiences. So whatever your brand is, is figure that out and stay true to that. And then whatever quality level that you set for yourself. So for hunt masters, I want to be known for the best cinematography in the industry. And that's, remember, that's a moving bar, right? Because the type of shots that we do now are dramatically different than they were five, 10 years ago. Um, I remember when you had one beta cam and one servo lens and that was it. Yep. And now when we go to a recovery, you have a suite of lenses because you're looking to knife off very specific shots where you may have four or 500 shots in a 30-minute show that you got to marry together. Yeah. And But each one of those shots, you got to think about what is the angle, what is the lighting, what is the lensing that I need for one two-second shot that may take you five minutes to get one two-second shot. I mean... Ryer, you remember on uh, on that elk recovery, right? How many times that we would go and try to get that one movement of just the hand grabbing right. the antler and trying to come around the elk and trying to get the sun in the right. I mean, we go. Or, I mean, we we created a footpath. <laughs> but you know what, though, when when we got that shot, though, people remember. So that's my brand. My brand is that and great storytelling through narration. And that's what I want. That was kind of my next one. Why? What what is it about stories? Because that's kind of our our whole thing too. That's kind of what we've tried to build the business around is telling stories. What is it you know, especially in the industry that we live you know that we work in now? With some shows still do a decent job of telling stories, some don't at all. You know, it's just about a hunt, a kill, recovery, shows done. Was it what is it to you about stories that just that's what drives you? What is it about it? Uh, well, there's a few things. First of all, a lot of people may not know, but I was a, I had a double major in college. One was English. And I grew up in a family that did a lot of reading. My parents were and still are voracious readers. They watched very little television. They read. So I grew up reading and writing. Uh, that's just my, my DNA. So I grew up understanding how to tell a good story. Uh, I remember growing up, you, you think of the the television shows that resonated with you or inspired you growing up, like Marty Stauffer's Wild America. Again, probably out of your genre. I remember the commercials. Right? But, yeah, I love the storytelling, and I love the cinematography. So those things connected with me, like Planet Earth, if it comes on today, you know, I would rather watch that than any sitcom uh, or any done comedy for that matter. <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> but so I love the storytelling app. Uh, aspect, but the other thing I want to bring up is when we refaced Hunt Masters, uh, I guess eight or ten years ago, and Alex Joseph, uh, who was working for Sub Seven uh, at the time, he's he's working over at Springfield Armory right now, and we sat down and we said, okay, how how are we going to transform 
hunt masters and and I had the vision of the storytelling but he said listen he said we need to build the show around you you are who you are and you are the host just like the show needs to be built around Lee and Tiffany or Michael Waldell or Jim Shockey or the Drury's so think about who you are as a person don't try to build a product and put you into the product yeah so many people say man I'm the I'm the next Michael Waldell there's only ever going to be one Michael Waddell. Yeah. Ever. Right? That doesn't mean that you can't have somebody different, but figure out who you are. And for me, the show is not about me. It's Hunt Masters. I want to take people on a journey, and I want to expose them to some of the best Hunt Masters around the world where they could be on, on your local level. Right? It, it's I want to tell the story of the local guides, yeah. right, and the local people and what goes into the the pursuit of the animal. It's not about, look at this what amazing trophy Greg Ritzkill. That's, yeah. not, that's not the concept. So when Alex and I sat down and, and uh, you know, we had many people at the table, uh, Sean Davies, who runs the marketing at Wildcom, she was very instrumental and said, hey, we want to build a show around Greg. Greg, what do you love to do? It's like, I want to tell a story. Well, how do you tell the story? And then, then it became, how do you tell it visually? And then how do you write? So you guys have been around this industry a lot of years. How many people write scripts? Very few, if any. If any. Right. It's they set up an interview. And, hey, yeah. you go back in the old days of, uh, of Hunt Masters and Game Trails prior to that, I did the same thing. I did, I did the old Realtree interviews, right? I'd sit down and, you know, one, two, three, go. Mm-hmm. Oh man, as you know, we we had a great hunt, man. We came in on this float plane and landed on this beautiful lake. And man, for the last four days, that you know, we've just been hunting hard and getting rained out, and things have been tough. And finally, an animals moved. Da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the personality to tell that story in that format like a Waddell does. That that he has these golden nuggets that he just he drops out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and people are, love that. But I can write a script and storytell that script and engage the audience in a different way. And you can tell just when we sat around yesterday and we kind of went through the shows that we've already shot, how passionate you are about the ebb and the flow of the show, about how we're going to get from this place to this place, and how do we tell the best version of this animal or this place or this person. Like, you know, we, we kind of watched some of the uh, Yukon show that you did uh, I guess it would aired. It's airing right now, or aired yesterday on Outdoor Channel, and we were here for lunch, and it came on. And you said it was one of your favorites because of the guide, and you told the story about the guide that had kind of not retired because there was one bull moose that he wanted to kill, and he stayed there. And the show was built around his pursuit of this one thing, and and you're living vicariously through him on that hunt, and. uh there's not a whole lot of people that put that much thought into it. They're like, oh, we're going to go to Ohio and kill a whitetail and see how it turns out. And that's about as much thought as it goes into it. And it doesn't, the big thing I want people to understand is it doesn't make it right or wrong. Yeah. It's define your brand, define your style, and stay true to who you are. Yeah, for sure. And 
you know, I have a whole business side of my background. I look at things differently. I, I like to manage the details, mm-hmm. right, of how do we get from point A to point B. And we talked about that in great length yesterday. I'm sure there were about 12 cups of coffee that were consumed. <laughs> uh, but understanding how do we get, you know, for one of the shows we talk about, how do we get from this character into this scene? Mm-hmm. So what's the transition? Okay, that goes on the whiteboard. We need to shoot this transition to do that. Yeah. And and because I try to strive on the whitetail shows as a 365 concept, it becomes a lot more challenging. Oh, yeah. It, and, and it does, and it's, and it's essentially like I, I view it as blocks. Like we've got this block and we've got this block. All right, this block was shot in the springtime. This block was shot in November. How do we marry those two things together to where the viewer sees it as the story still moving forward, but it's seamless, and I can see just a lot. Essentially, you took a bunch of blocks, you threw them on the table. All right, we filmed all these blocks. Now we got to take eight shows and make blocks out of them. So we sat down yesterday and like, all right, here's the blocks that we got. Here's the blocks that we need. How do we string these blocks to make sense? and to tell the story that we want to tell. That's kind of how I think about it in my head is these blocks and these things that we can move around on the board to tell the best version of the story. Yep. And then, we, you know, what we talked about, the things that we need to do to do pickups and things like that, then it's like, okay, well, now we know we have these blocks in the story already, but if we go and shoot this block, it's going to make these so much better, and we can get rid of this one that we didn't like that much anyway. You know, the weather was sucky, the the light wasn't good, or... You know, we did. You know, it got dark on us. We didn't get to get the shots that we wanted. You know, because when you're filming outside, that's the number one thing is you're fighting is either light or weather. Right. You know, when you can sit in a studio all day, it's easy. You know, you can do it a thousand times because your light never changes. But anyway, I, you know, I think about how many hours you guys think in terabytes mm-hmm. um, of content that it takes to make twenty-two and a half minutes. Yeah. And so for me, it's normally around 16 hours of content. Again, in terabytes, it's a lot of content to to manage that piece. And I think circling back to your earlier uh, question was how, you know, what do you want to tell people who want to come into this space? How do you be successful? I'm old school. Uh, We talked about relationships. It's hard work. It's get up, embrace the grind, right? Understand if it's everything is a production element. Mm-hmm. If it's raining, embrace it. If it's cold, embrace it. If it's windy, embrace it. Don't sit there and go, ah, it's kind of crappy outside, so we're not going to do anything, right? Embrace the grind and go out there and do things and understand to put. So w- when we kill an animal, we don't just walk up real time, right, and go, oh, my God, you know, this is what a fantastic hunt. It all came together. I, just, I can't believe it. You know, getting that trail camera picture tied everything together, and we're just sitting in front of this five-and-a-half-year-old buck, and I'm just so blessed. Mm-hmm. No. It's okay, boys. What's the lighting? Do we have time to do the recovery? You know, do we, do we got to cautiously uh, field dress the animal and come back the next day? and do it depending on what the weather and the lighting conditions so we can match those. So it's, it's hours of process yeah. to celebrate that, that animal and to tie the story together and trying to get people to understand the commitment of 
that discipline every time. Sometimes you get guides that don't want to do it. Oh, yeah. Right? Because they're like, yeah, animal's dead. I can't tell you how many times that we've stayed in camp uh, on the elk hunt, Ryer, that Again, we were just in. We were blessed to kill halfway through the hunt. We did not have enough elk footage. So I had to go to the outfitter and say, in the guide, hey, listen, we got to go elk hunt for another three days. They're like, you don't have a tag. I'm like, I'm not going to kill anything. Then why are you elk hunting? We need to call an elk. We need elk footage. We need skits to do. And he goes, so, so let me get this right. You're going to get up, spend the entire day in the field, hike around the mountains, try to call elk in, try to get elk footage, but your elk's dead. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to make a great show. We don't have the content to tell a great show because we're blessed with an early kill. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always always doesn't happen. mean the work's over with. So so people who want to come into the space, you know, if you have the passion, you still have to bring the work ethic. Yeah, well, that's that, that kind of goes back, and we're kind of going to reverse. But I want, I want and and I didn't know the answer to this, and I ask you, as I guess it was on the mule deer hunt, how you got into the industry. Ooh, man, that's that's a long time ago. I wanted to be in this industry from day one. So I had to create an opportunity for myself. So I was a competitive shooter uh, growing up, high school, college. Um, I, I was blessed to have enough talent uh, to shoot uh, with the U.S. shooting team. I spent two summers out at the uh, in Colorado Springs with the Olympic uh, shooting team, and I was actually uh, um, an assistant coach for the junior Olympic team. Um, because I figured the best way to learn something is to teach something yeah. and to to live in that environment. Well, through that, I created some contacts, and I'm getting ready to graduate college. And uh, a guy who uh, his name Sandy Wood uh, at the time, uh, you know, he was running the Winchester Ammunition um, Pro Shooter Program. Okay, because I was I was an international trap, so I was a trap shooter, clay target shooter. And he said, uh, he said, listen, you're never going to make any money being a shooter. You just, you just aren't. But he said, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't find a place in this industry. I said, well, great. I said, you know, what are some of my options? He said, well, a great way to start, he said, is uh, you can be a manufacturer's representative. I said, what in the world is that? <laughs> he, and then he explained to me that there are agencies that operate in, in our industry. And this, you know, it happens in other industries as well, where these agencies represent several different companies. And, uh, and they do all of the sales. They work with the retailers and the distributors. And I said, well, I grew up in Maryland. I said, who's, uh, who's the best one? He said, GB Stumpin' Associates. He said, they have Loophole. They have Maglade. They have Nosler. He said, they got a lot of powerful brands. I said, uh, I said great. Can I have a phone number? So I called George Stump and introduced myself on the phone. And uh, he said, you got to remember, we didn't have cell phones back then. So I got to put all this in context now. I know, you know, I know. Craig I is looking at me specifically. As <laughs> there were no this. cell phones. The entire right. time that he said we didn't have cell phones, he stared directly into my soul. Right. <laughs> you don't have a soul, right. so, so you can't uh, do that. So, so I had to call George in his office on a hard line. Yeah. Right. Now, 
this I didn't have rotary phones. I at least had a push button. Yeah. Phone, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I called George Stump up and I introduced myself. And, and fortunate again, game of contacts. Yeah. This industry is about reputation and contacts. So, hey, Sandy Wood gave me your number. So now, the, obviously, George is going to take my call because that was uh, one of his relationships that he had. And and uh, and I said I'd like to come visit with you about uh, potential working for your company. He said, I appreciate the call and all that, but we don't have any openings. And, uh, and I said, uh, I said, well, today's your lucky day. And he said, how do you figure it's my lucky day? I said, uh, because I live in the area. I said, I went to school at, at Loyola. I'm like 15 minutes, uh, from your office and, um, I got to take you to lunch. He said, well, I got kind of a busy schedule and I and I said, how about lunch tomorrow? And he said, well, I got to check my schedule. I said, how about lunch next Wednesday? And, uh, he said, you're not going to let this go. And I said, no. And I said, because I'm trying to understand how I fit into this industry. And what Sandy told me is whether I work for you or for other companies, you, you're a legend on the East Coast in, in this industry. And I said, I just want to understand how do I make my mark in this industry? And it's worth $20 for me to take you to lunch to understand. He said, Okay, next Wednesday, let's go have lunch together. So go out there and we have lunch. We have a great conversation. And I started to put the pieces together because I didn't know how the industry worked. I didn't, so manufacturers sell to wholesalers who sell to, so like I'm starting to understand more about how the pieces work in this industry. And uh, and he said, uh, well, it was great meeting you, you know, let's stay in touch and, and all this. And I said, uh, well, I'd like to come work for your company. He said, I'd. You know, told you before we even had lunch, I don't have any openings. I said, listen, I just graduated college. I said, somebody is going to retire or die at some point yeah. <laughs> and create an opening. And I said, so I'm just going to keep knocking on your door till somebody retires or they die. And uh, he thought that was funny. So once a month, the first Monday of every month for two years, so I ended up going off and getting a job in the printing industry and moved to Florida, something unrelated. I couldn't get in the industry. Yeah. Like I couldn't find a way because as you guys know, it's a brotherhood in this industry. We very protect much. our own. Yeah, very much so. So for two years, I wrote this man a letter. Here's what I'm doing. Here's the skills I'm developing. Here's my work ethic. Here's my track record. Two years later, he calls me up and he goes, you still want a job? I said, you got my letter last month, didn't you? <laughs> and uh, he said, we just took on Remington Arms. So Remington went from their manuf- their the sales guys directly working for the company to manufacturers representatives, and he said, uh, "Now you're going to be moving around. You're going to start in Maryland, then probably go to Pennsylvania." He said, "But you're going to start at the bottom, stocking shelves, working promotions." I said, "Going to shoots." I said, "Whatever it takes, doesn't matter." He said, "I don't know if I can pay you what you're making now." I said, "Doesn't matter." So you tell me what I need to do. And literally, my first day was stock and shelves at Ace Sporting Goods, which is located in Pennsylvania, south of Pittsburgh, and literally working promotions and stock and shelves and just taking orders from people. I mean, I started, it, there was no lower level on the rung, right? I don't even think I had a ladder to start on. <laughs> but through that, I, I built the relationships and, and understood. It, and that's where I come back to the hard work is don't, don't think where you want to be. Understand where you're at, and then every day strive to be better. 
Well, then you told me you told me that you started there, and how long after was it that he, that you got to be a what was it a sales rep or a territory manager or something like that? You were telling me about that. Yep, yep. So uh, so from there, uh, you know, as I built my reputation, um, there there was a. It, let me let me kind of hit the pause button here. Another another kind of dad moment, right? That I want to you know tell you guys. You guys are, are are young, and I tell my kids find a mentor in your life. Find somebody that you want to emulate or learn from, and they, that will change in life. And fortunately, within the organization, there was a mentor. His name was Bob Reinick, who I wanted to shadow under. So I went to George, uh, the owner. I said, listen, I said, uh, this Bob's a pretty special guy. I feel I can learn from him. I said, would you ever consider moving me out of, uh, out of Maryland to, to Ohio? He goes, you should go pick up and move. I said, I'm single. Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll move anywhere. So I moved to Ohio and learned under Bob. And then from there, at a very young age, when Remington's, this is during the Clinton administration. So you can imagine how ammo sales were back then. Yeah. Right. Um, Remington was growing at such a fast pace that I started developing my own territory and handled a $20 million piece of business when I'm in my late 20s. So... Through that experience, it I gained exposure in the industry, and I got a call one day from uh, Bob Gustafson at uh, Thompson Center Arms and said, hey, would you ever consider being a sales manager and uh, marketing guy at, at TC? And I said, no, not really. Because I now I've gone from GB Stump over to Haverhill Druso, another uh, rep agency, because Loophole had wanted to expand their tor- territory. And they said, hey, we'll give you Loophole for this territory, Haverhill Druso, if Greg Ritz can, can run this territory. So I went. Loophole's a great company. Still shoot Loophole products today. And uh, so I'm like, no, I'm making good money, having a lot of fun, living in the Midwest, my, my territory. So I know at the end of the day, it still comes about deer hunting, right? Oh, yeah. was... Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. So, and a little bit of Illinois. So, I mean, I had the best, and I wasn't married, so I had the best territory where I could shoot and hunt. So, I would go out for three weeks and wouldn't come back. I would just run this trap line of all my customers. I'd stay at my customers' houses. I became friends with them. They had properties to hunt. I mean, that's, I was living a great life. And it took nine months, and finally, uh, Bob, Gustafson convinced me to, to relocate from Ohio to New Hampshire. So I just picked up a move one day and started uh, working for, for Thompson Center. And here we are. And, and A couple we, years later. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's, boy, the whole TC thing, we could spend hours. So I started in August. I think it was August of 96. And then... It was a spring of 97. They had a fire at Thompson Center. And it destroyed a third of their manufacturing facility. A third. So it started in the wood shop. Because a lot of people don't know that Thompson Center, they had their own uh, sawmill out in Prairie, Kansas. And then they would bring in the blanks and they would they would do all of the woodworking. Um, because back then, most of your guns weren't composite guns. Yeah. Right? They were, they were uh, wood stock guns and they would do all the 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 carving and the inletting and the finishing and the sanding 
right there. Yeah. They were vertically integrated. They had their own foundry, made their own barrels, which I thought from a manufacturing perspective really was awesome for me. Like I love to, to, to understand and to see that. And I bought into the USA made culture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when they had the, the fire, I saw something about people that I had never seen before. The commitment of the employees at that time, a lot of them, they worked for free. They swept the ashes off the floors. They came in for half pay. They came in for no pay. They believed in the company because that was a culture that uh, Bob Gustafson and Ken French and the other leaders of that company built. And I said, you know what? I'm at the right company. Yeah. I'm at the right, and I'm going to help them do whatever it takes to get this company successful. And uh, and I think any company that can achieve that today, which I look at those, you look at the Reconics of the world, you look at the Matthews of the world, you look at the Hornadies of the world, look at look at a lot of the the real trees of the world. The they are built around a culture, and I think. A lot of companies, they lose their heart and their soul in this industry and others, especially when they're sold off, right? Because then they become a part of a private equity group and they lose their heart and the soul. But, you know, that's this, happening a lot too right it, now. It, it has. But, but that's why I try to really support the companies like the Hornadies and the Matthews of the world that they still have the heart and the soul for this. They want to make this industry better so we can do what we do. For sure. Well, I want to kind of pivot a little bit now and I want to get into maybe some of the uh some of the lighter sides of filming <laughs> um you've talked about some because you the first trip we I was with you was in uh in August on the mule deer hunt and we were me and uh Clint were just rattling off different uh movie quotes just yeah. because that's what I do it's one I guess it's one of the few things I'm good at and you just turned and looked at me and you said, you're going to be like all of my other producers, aren't you? And I was like, what do you mean? And you're like, you watch dumb comedies. And I was like, oh, yeah. So you've had a lot of experience with a lot of different producers over the years. So what are some of your, I don't know, maybe stereotypes, some funny some funny stories, just some, some stuff that you've had happen or some stuff you've learned, like, you know, going with different guys that are that do the, the job that we do. What's some of your your takeaways from that? I guess the the dumb comedies definitely uh, <laughs> are are one of them. Uh, I, I guess uh, uh, corn dogs and breakfast pizza are the other. <laughs> well, ones. we're getting into that in a little bit later. <laughs> but the I think what's I don't know if it's a commonality, but but or maybe it just follows me. But <laughs> follows you. Maybe you're the common denominator. Uh, maybe I'm the common denominator. But I think. A lot of the really good videographers, they understand and embrace their art. So they they watch how other movies are made. They watch how pieces are put together. They can't just watch a movie or a sitcom yeah. or a program without their brain going to, how did they get that shot? How did they tie in that storyline? Oh, my God, was that a great move? Oh, yeah. Their brains think differently. So I've learned... Oh, it's ruined me from watching anything. Right. So I've learned to identify that. Yeah. To 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 find the talented people who were blessed with the DNA and curiosity. Because curiosity is something you can't teach. You can teach work ethic, right? You can teach a, a skill, right? 
I can teach somebody how to put something in focus. I can teach somebody the fundamentals on how to frame a house. Yeah. But you can't teach curiosity. For sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's almost a sickness at a point, you know, because when I got into it it was it was fun, it was a hobby, and it was something, it was a new skill set to learn. And then it was like, all right, I don't know if I can put this down. It's like, okay, now when I can't put it down, it's like, okay, how do I now how do I make it cool? Okay, now do I, how do I tell a better story? Now, how do I make that story prettier? Now, how do I, you know, and then you you just start building and building and building till it's to a point now. It's like, you know, sometimes you have to stop yourself. You're like, okay, we can't be here all day doing this one shot or this one scene or this one thing. You know, we still have to, at the end of the day, kind of have a schedule and a budget and it hopefully make some money at the end of the day. But it's one of those things to where creatively that juice never stops flowing. And I think that's when I'll know that, all right, look, I need to look at doing something else is when I stop looking at things and thinking about things in a creative way, or like you said, the curiosity It's like, but what if we did this, you know, because how many, how many times have you watched a hunt on television? I mean, I've watched thousands of whitetails be shot. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only so many ways you can film a hunt, right? But that doesn't mean that we don't stop thinking about ways to make it prettier, sexier, or whatever, you know, whatever the case is, because once you just say, yep, got a kill shot, got a recovery, you know, all right, time to go home. Okay, well, that's well, it, anybody and, else can do that. And I try to surround myself with those people. I feed off that energy. I feed off that creativity. I don't particularly have that skill set. Like, I can visualize the outcome, but I'm not the person who can get behind the lens and make it happen. But I know what greatness is. Yeah. And I know what raw talent is. Well, it's, it's, and this is how I explain to people like, if you put two shows side by side, you've got one, one's a whitetail show, the other one's a whitetail show. One whitetail show is, you know, guys with handy cams that killing deer that they can kill and they're, you know, going state to state shooting a couple things and then you've got another whitetail show right beside it that was shot on good equipment has production value it's got time lapses drone does a good job of telling stories well you ask somebody which show they like better nine times out of ten they're going to say the show with better production value they don't understand what production value is. They don't know why they liked it better, but they'll say that one just that one was prettier. Well, it's just like it's like watching a movie. Yeah. Right, or a good sitcom. They don't necessarily understand why, but they react to the product. Yeah. So what's some of the what's some of the some funny some funny things that have happened over the years? <laughs> you know, you spend a lot of time with people. So I'll be on the road typically 170 days a year. Yeah. And uh, 50 of those days, 40, 50 of those days are seeing sponsors, going to trade shows, doing seminars. Uh, so related to what we do, but not in the field. And I'll spend 120 days in the field. So you really get to know your your videographers. And uh, it's human nature. You have to bond with them. Uh, you got to connect with them because you want them to do their best work. Right, So you need to create an environment where they feel inspired, they feel engaged, they feel motivated, they feel challenged. Yeah. Right? So, uh, you know, I always try to give them creative lead. Now, there are things structurally that have to be done. Yeah. And, I am, and I'm driven f for efficiency. 
Yeah, for sure. So I want you to show up on time, and I want to know what we're going to do. And I will be there and have my gear ready, and I will give you 110% uh, of everything. Uh, so as as long as uh, as we have that structure and organization, things flow. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've learned the type of personalities that click with me, and I think you as – as being a uh, a business owner and a manager of many different shows and contents that you perform, your job is to marry up personalities of various videographers who can work with somebody in the field for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. Yeah. So and the, not kill each other at the end. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because I want I want uh, you know whoever I'm working with to go home be like man we had a great trip and we created some fantastic content mm-hmm. and then two or three later days later go man i can't wait to the next one yeah yeah and you want them to and you don't want it to be because it, it hunting season is a grind if you're filming and you're not filming and you're really hunting a deer it's a grind it can and it's work yeah. then you add videoing and producing it in the mix yeah. and then it's really work yeah you know but i mean at the end of the day, if you're not having a good time, you know, I, I think that's why a lot of people got into this is because it is a good time. You work with the right people yeah. and you create a good product and everybody's doing their job and, every, you know, things are running on all cylinders. It's a blast, yeah. you know, until you, you know, have crappy weather and, you know, well, and all and, this and stuff. But And there is stress. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. And, and I think there's an element of the job that a lot of guys coming into it, they don't see – the stress to get the shots, the stress to get the storylines, the stress to get the animal, the stress to complete something under a designated time frame, especially when, when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned, uh, you know, th- through the evolution of the process is you can't have the same shooters on every shoot because they need they need to have a break. Yeah. Uh, they need to have a creative break. So they can come and they can shoot, you know, 10 or 14 days is about max, and then they have to be cycled out. Mm-hmm. They got to go back to their lives and their wives and their girlfriends or their dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to go, you know, to their favorite place to eat their pizza. They, 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 a creative person needs relief. Yeah. Okay. They can't stay creative all the time. And I think, uh, so what I've learned and, and how you've approached this situation and and you remember, so I'm very organized. I know all the trips, what days, in and out, and we laid out the schedule. I said, okay, who are the shooters are going to be? And then you laid out all the shooters, and I was happy to see there was commonality, but there wasn't somebody who was going to have to go through every single day of mm-hmm. 130 days in the field with me. Yeah. Because it's a gr- – I don't care how good a guy you are – and, and I know what my faults are because I'm driven by continuous improvement. I'm driven by the pursuit of perfection that I know I'll never get there. Mm-hmm. I know I will never get. But I promise you, I am a better person today, and I do a better job today than I did last year. For sure. And, and because I'm, I'm always trying to figure that out. And better may be more efficient. Better may be more creative. Better – maybe balancing the fun fact. So there's always a different version of better. But, you know, if you and I, which we get along great, we have a lot of the same beliefs, the same, um, you know, family upbringing and what have you, we want to kill each other if we spend 130 days together. Yeah. Because nobody can do that. Yeah. 
So you come in for a week, then Ryer comes in, then Clint comes in, then Aaron comes in. And uh, so we divvy up the workload. Well, guess what? Everybody stays creative. Yeah. And, and we, it, and, and as long as I do a good job communicating with you and doing a good job of communicating with them and vice versa, everything should run like it should, you know. And and I know there's a, um, there's a there's a, a group of people out there uh, that are so motivated and so talented that when you're in your twenties, you think you're bulletproof. Yeah. Right. And realistically, you probably are. But you can start creating bad habits. Mm -hmm. So don't ever put yourself in a situation where you're going to redline. Yeah. Because it's not, it's, it's not there. Like, you know, I've been blessed over the years to, to develop an environment here in Illinois that's productive. Yes. You have, your own, so. you have your own space. You can go downstairs. It's clean. It's organized. You have your own bathroom. You have your own media room. Like, I've learned all of those things. Like, you need to be able to get away from the guest, from me. You got to be able to do your job. Like, you got to have separation to be good at what you do. For sure. Because I've been in, in the camps where you're shoulder to shoulder with that person and you get no relief. Well, not only that, your stand sets are set up for filming. Then <laughs> that rarely happens. Well, yeah. It, it, again, it's, it's comfort. I mean, next week's go time. Yeah. I mean, we're going to be sitting in, in the stand all day. But, uh, you know, I love hearing the stories of uh, of the guys that I hunt with. Like, I try to get to know who they who they are and have fun, have fun. Ryan and I were filming last night, and uh, I thought it was pretty comical. I mean, it was a slow night. It's eighty five. It's super windy, right? So we were we were trading off on 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 who was uh, who was on their phone more last night. <laughs> so I just I had a little fun with them. So. Uh, I had uh, I had Sean who uh, handles all my social media send them. I think this is the key part of the story, <laughs> and I want everybody. I I want to commend Greg for the amount of effort that he went through for this joke. That's highly commendable. Right. Anyways, continue. So, so so you start to pattern. It's like I pattern my videographers like I pattern a white bear, right? <laughs> Are we as easy to pattern? Like, like, I, I try to understand, okay, Ryer likes his, his his coffee. So guess what? We are always going to have the coffee maker yep, going, yep. right? And they're the, the, the little things. I mean, if, if you like, uh, you know, standard mac and cheese, I'm going to make sure you got mac and cheese here. However, we have not gone to the dark side on the corn dogs yet. But <laughs> so I'm watching, we'll I'm watching, I'm watching Ryer on. So, so he's filming, and when things are slow, he'll – Check his social media. I'm like, oh, I've got him now. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I send a text to Sean. I'm like, hey, can you send a DM for me and tell Ryder that there's a deer in the food plot? <laughs> <laughs> so he's checking his DMs. And, and it's like I'm watching out of the corner of my eye. All of a sudden, his head snaps. <laughs> he goes, you bastard. There's no deer in the food plot. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Got to keep him on his toes, though. But it creates, it, it creates a bond. Yeah, oh, for that, sure. That, hey, we're still here to have fun. Like, yeah. I'm going to go as hard and serious as anybody, but if you can't laugh a little, yeah. you can't have a little fun, then, uh, you know, then it makes the real stressful times too stressful. Oh, yeah, it makes it to where it's not fun anymore. And then when it's not fun for you or for us or for any, then then the product the product suffers, yeah. you know, and that's that's what we don't want. Communication, and I know you're going to touch on this later, but the the most important thing in any relationship, whether it's personal or professional or any D 
dealings you have with anybody is is communicate. And For I sure. think what what was really refreshing uh, when we got connected is you came right out of the gate and said, "Listen." we cannot be effective if we don't communicate. So if you're stressed about something or you're thinking about something, or you have an idea, he said, you will ne- you're telling me this, mm-hmm. you will never hurt my feelings. I mean, you came right in and ripped the bandaid off. Yeah. Well, that's because, because you've been in those situations and I've been in too many of them to where it's like either you're on pins and needles or you don't know if you should say something or it's like, well, I don't want to say something to so-and-so because it might hurt their feelings. It's like, look, dude, I'm a grown man. You're not going to hurt my feelings. It's like, if you don't like something, tell me. If you want me to do something and I don't know, it's like my wife assuming that I know to do something, I'm dumb. Just tell me. If you want me to get in the truck and drive down the road and get this and come back, just tell me. I'll do it. It ain't going to hurt my feelings. It's one of those things. I'm very, very simple. You know, it's, and and I've harped on this, and anybody that listens to the podcast know about my pet peeves with the communication, about all the ways that, we have to communicate, and we're worse at it now than we've ever been. You know, it, it's it's super frustrating when you like, and, and that's the first thing I told Ryer and Clay when they came to work for me. I was like, "Look, I'm big on communication. If I can't get a hold of you, it's gonna make it's gonna frustrate me because there won't be." And and I tell everybody when I get on my, you know, if I meet somebody or they say they're gonna call me or something, I'm like, look, if you can't get a hold of me, something's wrong. I'm literally to where I don't have service or you need to try and find me in a ditch somewhere because that's the only way that you're not going to hear back from me because I feel like I I have enough respect for you to reply, answer my phone, call you back. Or if I can't answer my phone, say, I'm busy, I'll call you back when I can. Right. You know, and if I don't, or if I do forget, follow up. Like, hey, you know, you, you forgot to call me or, or, you know, some of my buddies are like, oh, you forgot about me. You know, oh, sorry, I'll call you right now. You know, because life happens. But it's one of those things to where, you get a text, you get an email, you get a phone call, and then it's just like darkness. There's no excuse for that. Darkness. No, and the other the other thing is, I know a lot of the people listening to your podcast. You know, they're they're videographers, aspiring videographers, people in this industry. Is you still need to have a personal conversation. Mm-hmm. Text can be misconstrued. Yes, emails can be misconstrued. DMs. I guess can be misconstrued because I don't DM, but uh, I have Sean does my DMing. But the, uh, uh, but have have a conversation with somebody. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and and I think what what has been good for me is after every trip, we have a conversation. You're like, hey, are you free or when are you free? We they're not long, fifteen twenty. How did it go? What can we improve? You know, you know what what do we need to do? How do we need to plan? But we talked. Yeah, and. And I think that a lot of this younger generation, you know, my kids especially, they don't talk. Yeah. They don't just sit and have a conversation. I live in that the digital world. Um, kind of getting back to the stories thing. I, and I, we kind of talked about this, and, and you kind of answered it, but I wanted you to expand on it a little bit. Of all the stories you've gotten to tell, what do you think is your favorite one? You know, the there are a few that stand out. Uh, my trip to Cameroon uh, to hunt bongo uh, with the pygmies. Um, I, I was really proud of the production and the storytelling and the cinematography of, of that trip. Um, and then I think some of the episodes with my kids that I've done for Whitetails, um, 
or even the the one family traditions we did with uh, Jason Hornady and his two kids and two of my daughters uh, last year from a storyline perspective of respect the game, respect yourself, put the hard work in, not everything ends in rainbows and, and fairy tales, yeah. right? Sometimes the the greatest memories come from the process. They don't come from the result yeah. of something. And uh, so I think from a cultural perspective, probably Cameroon or, or, or Azerbaijan were, were some of the most unique ones. But I think uh, using my kids and trying to, uh, let's face it, a lot of people watching television uh, are in the 40, 50 year old range to, you know, 60, 65, you know, it's, it's, it's the, uh, you know, I don't want to say the boomers because the boomers are certainly in there, but, um, you know, my generation and I think because we have kids, so we can relate to it. Yeah. It's like, how do you teach your kid? What messages do you want to have? So I try to show what it means to be a good steward, to be a good parent. And I like focusing on, on those messages from a people perspective. The one we watched, uh, yesterday on Michael, uh, I thought was a great storyline on that guide who sacrificed his whole life for the Yukon. He's, he just loves the Yukon and he's French Canadian, lives in Quebec, right? But he would travel and, and literally spend two months out in, out in the bush by himself just because he loved the Yukon. And there's lots of those stories out there, guys. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh there's never a lack of storylines in our industry you just have to be open-minded enough to find them for sure well there isn't a lack of stories in the world i mean i think i think if you you can go into almost any situation with any human being and find a good story mm-hmm. i think every person has a good story i think every person is a good story and so i think you know that being said there's infinite amounts of good stories that you can tell yeah. Yeah, we've cuz Ryan and I have talked about it like if we if we only, you know, in one of these days in all of our spare time, if we could go take and and do a film or a or do a series about anything, you know, what would it be about and and both of ours are actually non-hunting, which I mean hunting is definitely my passion and everything, but you know, if, if there was no budget, no time limit, like what would you go do? You know, that was, and I guess I kind of had that question for you too. Is like, if it wasn't hunting, if you know, hunting industry wasn't an option, what for you? You know, what what do you see yourself doing outside of hunting? Uh, was well, it's, it's interesting. It, you, if you were to go through uh, my feed on what I what I'd like outside of hunting, it's food and it's fitness. I mean, those those are the two things. Like, I love the way the human body works and the mental capacity that we have as humans. We are only using a very small fraction yeah. of our God-given potential. We really are. And I don't know what that potential is, 30, 40, 50%. We have a lot of capacity. And obviously, you see through evolution how much that we've learned and grown and, and, and accomplished as a society. But there's... You, you look at the athletes today versus the athletes a decade ago and what they're accomplishing, and they're doing it because better nutrition, better understanding, better training, things like rest and stretching 
you know, things that you wouldn't think of back then when you played ball, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. just went and tried like hell, yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. And uh, so, I, so that fascinates me in the human potential part. And then food fascinates me from a world perspective. Yeah. Like, where does your food come from? How is it grown? Like, I love, I'll sit and watch farming feeds. I mean, if Ryer was looking over my shoulder, he probably saw a lot of farming stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, how do people harvest this and how do they grow that? And where does it come from? Because that's something that connects all of us oh, cu- yeah. culturally uh, as a society, because food uh, is something that we're dependent on. So if I, uh, if I wasn't blessed to do what I do now, it would be something in the in the food or the fitness world. Very cool. Rower, you got the last question. So Greg said that he really gets to know his videographers. And in turn, we really get to know Greg. And so... Um, you know where this is going yet? <laughs> so obviously we're on a hunt and we get to talking and really diving into the personalities and the interests of each other in a very deep and personal way. And, th- and this is in Utah, of course. And, uh, it, it comes up, we're talking about food and Greg has stated that he has a deep love for food. And, uh, it comes up that I also have a deep love for food. <laughs> Two different kinds of food, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Now, the difference between our loves of food is is Greg is much more particular about the type of food that he will consume, whereas I am not at all. <laughs> I I love food in all of its various forms. I don't discriminate. As long as it's highly processed. I don't discriminate. I'll eat highly processed foods. I'll eat non-highly processed foods. Uh, the, I don't like vegetables, but I think that's natural because <laughs> vegetables are terrible and everybody will agree. Um, and, and I think that Greg, you, you tend to discriminate on, a <laughs> can't laugh. You've been doing so good. <laughs> I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. The record will show that I did not laugh. You tend to discriminate on certain types of food and, one of those foods, I think, deserves better from you. <laughs> a more open mind. And that food is corn dogs. <laughs> Why have you not eaten a corn dog, Greg? <laughs> so, this does take us full circle. So, it does, sh- it does show you that there was a rhyme and a reason to this podcast. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we've done this whole because, podcast because to get this, this question. This brings us back to the two commonalities of videographers, yeah. dumb comedy and corn dogs. <laughs> I feel like you haven't answered my question. <laughs> I asked a very simple question. So, Why have you not eaten a corn dog? It's not one of the major food groups. In fact, I don't even know what group it falls into. You still have, why have you not eaten why, the corn dog? Why dogs? would anybody try to take great cornbread and married up? with a hot dog, and then poke it with a stick. Like it doesn't... There's too many reasons to list. First of all, portability. (laughs) (laughs) Portability. You could eat a corn dog anywhere at any time. Can you you say that about... A cold corn dog, though? No. No, Well, you just said anywhere, anytime. Nothing should be eaten on a stick. Nothing should be eaten on a stick. I'm sorry. 
So maybe, you a pop, did, maybe a popsicle. But you did give him a reason, like, you you will eat a corn dog if he does this. I don't remember that. <laughs> he said if you film, if he films you shoot a booner, you'll eat one. I guess what qualifies well, that as was a that booner? night, though. That was just the night. That was just oh, that, that he, one he individual. Just got a solid five no, hour no, window. No, no, that's not true because then <laughs> after you said that, you went, I may I may have promised this without thinking because I'm going to be with you for three trips coming up, and there's a high likelihood that you will shoot. I don't. I don't. Booner. We, we'd have to go back and look at the records on, <laughs> on that one. Well, the, you said you told me that also in Utah. You said if you on the last couple of days of the hunt, you said if you really, shot a mule deer, a corn, you would come eat. Listen, it's what a corn dog represents. I think a corn dog represents everything that is good about America. <laughs> I think corn dogs are an American staple. I don't I don't think <laughs> that you can call yourself a red-blooded American having never eaten a corn dog. I'm sure we'll because get a corn dog represents everything that is good about America. It represents efficiency. It has meat, it has bread. It's delicious. You can eat it on a stick. And you can find it at every major gas station. Yes, you can. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. There's just something that grosses me oh, out. Oh God! But here's well, the th- here's the other thing. I mean, just, Greg sit, said, just sit there. How many days do they roll on that little wheel in Casey's? Not I even a whole day. I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean, it's it's the preservatives. What that does to your body? It preserves it. Well, well, obviously, <laughs> it you don't need to be embalmed when you die. If no, you eat enough corn. Exactly. Dogs. See efficiency, oh, cost effectiveness. Geez. But see now, how I would approach a, the whole corn dog food group is how do you make the ultimate corn dog like what are the very best ingredients like what is the best I, beef frank to use i'm 100 percent right right there with you and i will eat the crap out of that corn dog should it present itself to me on a plate ready to eat but how do you how are you going to know that that is the premium corn dog if you haven't had the standard corn dog you wouldn't know that's like asking somebody who's never seen a deer before What's a good deer? They don't know because they've never seen a deer before. You have to eat. You have to see the deer to know what a good deer is. You have to get a taste for it. You have to see all of the deer. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. How are you going to do that with a corn dog if you've never had one? He's super passionate about this. I don't don't need to be a liberal to understand certain liberal policies won't work. Corn dogs are above (laughs) politics. I can't believe that you would bring politics into corn dogs. Corn dogs are just America. Oh my Jesus! You know, I got I got to see if Donald Trump eats corn dogs. Yeah, hundred percent. That man eats corn dogs. I would. There's no way that Donald Trump doesn't eat corn dogs. What is it? He is a what is it? McDonald's French fries. Yeah, McDonald's French fries. That's what it is. Yeah, he's a huge McDonald's French fry. What I mean, they're pretty good. But from any of the uh, the talent out there that has to manage the expectations and the emotions of having a videographer and a stand for them for hours, always find one topic they're passionate about. Oh, yeah. Okay? That's Be- corn beca- dogs. R- that's right. So, and, and Ryer, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? So, last night, right, right you know, it's hot out, ladybugs freaking everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Sun beating you in the face, facing west, right? And I, and I could see, you know, Ryer's just, he's, he's hitting that. That zone, right, where we're just little, the focus is getting fuzzy, right? Well, the so, focus is always fuzzy for me because of my eye. But uh, true. Despite that. So, so I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, how do I get this guy engaged? And I'm like, well, what are the two things that he likes? 
He likes his phone, and he and he and he likes corn dogs, right? <laughs> well, hot dogs rank above corn dogs for me. Okay, he likes hot dogs. Okay, so what did I do, Ryer? What did I do on the he, stand last night to keep you engaged? He found me on his Facebook a video uh, about. Coney Island Nathan hot dogs. Correct. Nathan's the hot dogs world Island, famous, which I haven't had, and I want to have. That's right. So I want you to have, have a Casper hot dog from Northern California. They're really so, good. Too. So, so for for all the talent out there to understand how to 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 manage keeping these guys on the razor edge of greatness, <laughs> right? I found a video and shared it with them in the tree stand. God bless. On on with the origin. And what happened after the world that? famous hot dog? Now, what happened after that? The sun set perfectly, and I got maybe some of the greatest light that I've had in a stand ever. And See? got some some of the best footage of leaves I think I've ever <laughs> taken. So it works, folks. It works. The oh, stars align. Good Lord. Greg, thank you. gave us that situation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, it was spirited conversation till right there at the end. <laughs> well, y'all were talking all serious this whole time. And I didn't really have. You've just a good, been waiting for your I opportunity. Really, I don't really have a good place to interject myself there, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't want to. Well, we, we and, certainly and should so. do. We should do this again. And I think what would be fun is towards the end of the season, gather around with some corn this dogs. Is, <laughs> <laughs> and this, really, this really appreciate the camaraderie, camaraderie oh, that is. Man. Did you just try and? Ryer's not on my next trip, is he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dang it. I just drew the short corn dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, so what were you saying? Do something I, was just, I, I think it would be fun for a lot of the listeners that, because this is our first year of really working in the trenches together, Yeah. is uh, let's do a podcast towards the end of the season as a retrospective of what what did we all learn together? It's like, how, how did this, because we are off to an amazing start. We have laid down some of the most incredible footage. I mean, like walking through the sun mm-hmm. in Utah. Yeah. I mean, you look at that, the shot that you had of the harvesting in the moon last night. Uh, you know, the obviously we've been blessed with a lot of incredible kills. Um, the uh, The photography, I would say, you know, what you guys are laying down is is the best portfolio I have ever delivered to my sponsor. So it'd be fun a year from now to sit uh, or at the end of the season and say, okay, for all the listeners out there, is we're kind of taking them through this journey of working together. Yeah, for sure. I like it. And uh, Did you say and that we're telling a story? We're, yeah, <laughs> I want to tell our own story. <laughs> I wish I could see Roger's face right now. He's so proud of himself. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that idea a lot. And we'll, yeah, we'll definitely, um, yeah, let's let's plan on doing that. Um, get maybe Clint or Aaron or both or whoever we can stick on here too. Let's just get everybody on here if we can. And uh, that'd be fun. But, yeah, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, buddy. Uh, love, love it. Love the hard work and the, and the passion for what you guys do. I think that's uh, that's what I appreciate the most. You got anything else, Ryer? You done? You corn dogged out? I haven't even had a single corn dog this week. <laughs> All right, guys. (laughs) Thanks.